Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello. Welcome, everybody, to the Kilbasta King Sports Extravaganza, of course, brought to you by Bucky's Fifth Quarter. And I am Jake Kokorowski at the Polish Rifle, Scott Wisniewski here. Happy Thursday, everybody. Warm weather starting to come out, and I am excited. Temperatures in the 70s. Should be gorgeous. Make sure you enjoy yourself and you're with your friends and loved ones heading this weekend. Should be some, finally a nice blast, a consistent warm weather underneath. I think they call it the Omega High. And apparently that's not a weather channel generated theme like they do with those winter storms now. But it's actually something that they've, they, they've even said on the weather channel. Hey, guess what? This is actually what we learn in, in, in you know, meteorology 101. We'll see if that's actually the case. Uh, as I have a couple of friends in, in the meteorology business there. But uh, besides the weather, it should be a great time for us media guys to watch some spring practice. Probably uh, I'll have to grab my SPF uh, 30. Or, you know, John, we got John Veldheis here from BadgerBlitz.com. John, I may just bring out, like, the Hawaiian Tropic Oil. I need a good tan. I am pasty white. And we might actually be able to watch a practice outdoors in the sunny venue of Camp Randall Stadium. Yeah, you, you, uh, they were outside today, and I suppose if you got out, uh, what is it, one of those like little reflective mirrors or whatever, or whatever you sit on the lawn chair, if you go sit in the bleachers, I bet you get a pretty nice tan. That would be nice, and that's something that I need because it, it has not uh, – <laughs> yeah, I am, like I used to live in Florida, and I look back on pictures when I was a teenager, and I, I weep. I openly weep nowadays when I see how <laughs> pasty white I am. I can't see myself in the mirror. At times, and that's that's how white I, I've become. But uh, besides uh, my my tanning habits or lack thereof, uh, you mentioned that the Badgers were outside today uh, for their spring practice instead of how we were, you know, what we've seen previously in the uh, McLean Center. And you know, uh, I wasn't able to make it out there today, but wanted to ask you initial thoughts on the practice. I saw some things about Alex Hornibrook winning a nice little competition. Saw some video on, on uh, YouTube. Of, of Hornybrook winning the competition with uh, throwing a ball into a, a bend into the corner of the end zone. But but uh, quarterback competition aside, what else did you see from today's practice? Well, um, you know, obviously the all eyes have been on the quarterbacks for most of these, these spring practices. But, you know, I guess the thing uh, aside from, you know, the, the battle between Bart Houston and Alex Hornibrook that I'm – kind of noticing is I think the Badgers are 
uh, in the process of developing a few more, you know, pass-catching threats than maybe what we had become uh, accustomed to over the past couple of years. Um, George Rushing uh, had a really good practice today. I thought he had a nice um, uh, end-around touchdown on the ground. He caught uh, what would have been a a nice long touchdown uh, through the air and made some other good catches over the middle. He's he's a guy that's kind of struggled with consistency over his career, but uh, I thought he had a good day today. And then, you know, over the last couple of practices, uh, I have been really impressed with um, the younger tight ends, uh, like uh, Kyle Penniston in particular, uh, has caught the ball really well. Um, and uh, that's to say nothing of, um, you know, how Rob Wheelwright and uh, Jazz Peavy have done. And, you know, this isn't to say that I think the Badgers are going to be, you know, a high-flying, you know, uh, passing offense or whatever, but I think the base talent that they're working with this year might be a little deeper than what they had been working with in the past couple of years, and that's probably a good thing for a year where you're going to break in a new quarterback is to have, you know, a couple extra guys who, you know, you, you could throw out there and depend on them to go out and catch a pass if you need them to. It seems like they've uh... – worked a little bit more on, on distributing the ball to the tight ends. And I know it doesn't mean a whole lot right now. They're just trying to find some some people that can fit some roles. But do you see the offense changing a little bit where maybe we see more tight end uh, use in this offense with this uh, with, with this quarterback group and, and again, some of the, the better uh, breakout performances by some of the tight ends early in practice? I mean, like that's. I, I think that's certainly possible. I mean, you look back at uh, you know Paul Chris' uh, previous stints at Wisconsin, and you know the, the tight ends uh, were always a, a featured point of the passing game. Um, and between you know Troy Fumagalli, who um, also had a had a nice practice today, he caught a bunch of passes, um, and not not easy passes either. I mean, like he had he had some where he had to you know go for a full extension or you know, kind of uh, dive to his right or to his left to go grab those. Uh, and so with him, and then, you know, Eric Steffes has been, he's kind of struggled with injuries during his career, but he's, he's been out there this year. And then if you throw on the younger guys, like Penniston, who's uh, a, a very natural receiver, and then David Edwards, uh, who's uh, got a he's got a, a, a big frame that's great for, you know, it's, it's a great fit for the position. And he showed off some nice athleticism. Yeah, I think there are definitely some pieces where, um, you know, the the tight end could be a little bit more of a featured point. Uh, and I, I was talking with, um, you know, the, the tight ends coach, Mickey Turner, uh, earlier in the week, and he said that, you know, he wants, you know, a good three or four guys that they can, you know, depend on. You know, it's not to say that they're going to play, you know, all of them evenly or whatever, but, you know, he, he wants to have a couple guys that they can depend on so that if they need to go to, like, 13 personnel or something like that where they need a couple tight ends on the field, you know, they, they're going to have some options to play with um, you know, maybe in the maybe in the play action game or or something like that. And so I think it's definitely a possibility, and you know, it's definitely a good sign for the. You know, I guess Bart Houston is not a younger quarterback, but he he would be a new starter if he wins the job. Or Alex Hornibrook would be a young quarterback, it's his first year to be eligible. You know, to, to go out and play for the Badgers. And you know, what's that always say? You know, that I think that saying is like, uh, you know, young quarterbacks you know, need a good tight end that they can fall back on as kind of a safety net. So I think that would be a good development for the Badgers in this passing game. John Veldice here from BadgerBlitz.com, former Buckeyes fifth quarter contributor back in the day here on Ekilbasa King Sports Extravaganza. And, of course, follow him on Twitter at John Veldheis. That's making sure on this note, V-E-L-D-E-I-S-E. 
H U I S. And uh, with that, it. I try. I try. You know, Kokorowski <laughs> and Wesniewski. We, we we make sure we get those last names right. And uh, <laughs> with, with, with just that, you talk about Hornerbrook. You talk about Houston. Maybe that's the next uh, logical step in our talk about spring football. What have you seen out of them? And we we both know, and and it's, you know, one of those things with spring football where especially with Coach Chris, and he mentioned it last Saturday, talking about how he wants the quarterbacks to make mistakes, to make, to reach those limits. He mentioned that last year with Joel Stave, Stave right. uh, in terms of how uh, to push to see where they can go. And, and you know, I, we've heard the adage, too, with spring football. Spring football, you poise those – you know, you're poised to ask those questions. And in, in fall football, uh, fall camp, that's when you kind of answer them. And, but what have you seen out of out of Houston and Hornybrook? Both have had their good days. Maybe both had their down days. It, it, you know, it, what have you seen out of those two quarterbacks? Who, I mean, Kari Lyles won't be uh, unless he makes a, a really huge impact in fall camp. I mean, it's kind of a two horse race right now. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree that it's a that it's a two um, two man you know battle at this point, and I think that's. That, that that you were talking about how you know the coaches want uh, the quarterbacks to kind of test themselves and see what what throws they can make, what throws they can't make, um, and I, I think uh, Chris described it as kind of like you know he kind of like he wants his players to kind of touch the stove a little bit uh, on bad ones. So you know if, if Bart or Alex goes out and throws a bad ball or puts it in a bad spot, you know it's it's not necessarily a terrible thing if it gets picked off because. You know, as long as they learn from it and realize, okay, well, I, you know, I did this wrong. You know, I, I let the receiver too much, whatever. Um, I, you know, and you take, you build from that. You know, in, interceptions in in that sense are not necessarily a bad thing. And you're right. I mean, like that that was something that goes back to um, you know last spring when Joel was uh, kind of testing some tight throwing windows and he was getting picked off. And you know, it's just good to keep in mind that you know spring stats like that are not necessarily predictive of Performance. I I do think um, Hornerbrook has been a little uh, less consistent um, over these last couple practices. I mean, like that's that's you know why you see you know these practices where he has you know multiple interceptions, whether it's three, four, or five, something like that. I mean, ultimately, and, and you know you also have to consider that sometimes you know a pass will hit a receiver in the hand and gets tipped and pecked, or you know some I, I, like on I think it was Saturday Bart had a, you know, technically an interception, but the ball just kind of slipped out of his hand and fell kind of right into T.J. Watt's red basket. And so, I mean, technically it counts as an interception, but it was more of a fluke play than anything. So it's just good to keep in mind that, you know, it's spring football. These guys are, you know, really trying to improve on themselves. But at the same time, you know, it has been interesting to see, you know, who who I think is more consistent. I, I, I definitely think Farnabrook has has made his fair his fair share of mistakes, but you know I don't know if, if Bart has gone out and you know been the the you know the embodiment of consistency either. So you know at, at this point with what we've been able to see, I think it's still pretty open. But you know it, it'll be really interesting to see where this um, where this battle goes in fall camp when you know the, the pressure's on a little bit more. I guess I could say. You look at the schedule and it's it's. Obviously tougher than the last couple of years. Open up with LSU, and then you open up the Big Ten with at Michigan State, at Michigan, home with the Buckeyes, and at Iowa. 
So it's tough. And I think one of the things that people are looking for is a little bit of improvement from the offensive line that, like, three years ago, you know, this was a, a, a legacy offensive line. The offensive line always turning out the third. They struggled as of late. What do you see for the offensive line? Any changes on the offensive line? And, and do you think that, that this unit is a little bit more equipped to be a little bit more successful than they've been the last couple of years? Uh, I would I, I would say that I think the, the offensive line is going to take a step forward this year, and that's a good thing. I mean, I, I, I don't want to even imagine what it would be like if they had to go through, you know, this upcoming schedule with the situation they had last year on the offensive line where the, where they had to play all the, you know, all the redshirt freshmen that had no game experience. That would have been that, that could have been that could have gotten really ugly. I guess I, I guess I should say. Um, but I, I, I like the, the pieces that are in place this year. I mean, like um, Ryan Ramchek, uh, some of the other writers and I, uh, and, you know, Jake, you might have, you know, joined in on this too, but it's like, you know, Ramchek is almost like a, a described as like a mythical figure because we haven't really seen him go out there and play very much. I mean, like we've uh, we've seen, you know, him in a couple of practices, and he's, he's looked pretty good. I mean, he's an athletic guy. He's got really good feet. Um, and so, you know, at least from my uh, layman's point of view, I mean, like I can see why the coaching staff thinks highly enough of them to, you know, just kind of plug him right in there and say, okay, he's our starter at left tackle. Um, and, you know, as you work your way on the other side, you know, through the rest of the line there, um, I think I, I like uh, John Dietzen's feeling. Uh, I think he, he, to me, he seems like a step ahead of Michael Capoy. Uh, I think if Deetson hadn't redshirted last year or if he hadn't been at, like, a true freshman, they, I think he could have played. Um, and so he might be kind of like Michael Dieter uh, a couple of years ago when, you know, he, he could have gotten in there if they needed him to, but they wanted to preserve that redshirt. And so I, I think Deetson will be in the mix for some playing time. Uh, the interesting part is that uh, Michael Dieter um, has been playing center because Dan Bolt is out with a knee injury. He's recovering from knee surgery from – uh, when he got hurt at the end of the Illinois game last year. Um, and apparently Joe Rudolph said that um, Volts came to him and said, hey, you know, if Dieter's playing really well at center, and to me, you know, it seems like Dieter has been handling that job pretty well. You know, Volts said that he's okay with moving to guard or, um, you know, something like that if it's if it would be easier to leave Dieter at center for the continuity because, I, I mean, as far as, like, snapping the ball goes and the communication, I mean, center's a really key position where you want some consistency there. And so it will be interesting when Volt is healthy enough to come back to see, you know, if he's going to be slotted in somewhere at guard or, you know, which guard spot you put him at. Because I think on the right side, they do like what they have in Bo Benchwall and then uh, Jacob Maxwell there. And so, you know, it, it will be interesting to see, you know, who all um, gets these, these um, starting spots. Because I, I think you have – you know, probably seven guys who legitimately could compete for spot, or, you know, for five spots. Um, and so that's a good thing to have with the tough schedule that they have coming up. I do think they will be better. Um, I, I think it, the, you might see, you know, a lot more of the results in maybe like 2017 because this group is so young. Um, but as a whole, I, I do think it's going to be a, a boost uh, to the offense, and I, I think you will see – the running game perform, you know, a, a good step ahead of where they were last year, and that's a good thing for you know any Wisconsin offense. We're here with John Veldheis from BadgerBlitz.com. Make sure you check out the great work John does 
every week. Subscribe to BadgerBlitz.com. they got some great things going on with, with him and, and John McNamara and uh, many others there on that site. Great job you guys do there. And I know uh, we're running up against time, but wanted to ask you real quick, uh, besides Brian Ramchick should just go by Ramchick and be that mythical figure and kind of have that pro wrestling <laughs> vibe to him. He's, he's big enough. He could, I mean, Vince McMahon would probably love him if, if the NFL doesn't work out for him, uh, especially with it. Yeah. But you have this, the defense really kind of touch base real quick. Jimmy Leonard, now coach Leonard with the defensive backs, how have they looked? And, and also that, you know, kind of maybe just a broad stroke. Uh, how's that defense look now underneath Justin Wilcox in your opinion? It's hard to really tell when you talk to some of the players because it's more they're talking about terminology. Some things are staying the same, some aren't. Uh, sometimes, you know, the, the terminology from the year prior with Dave Aranda uh, may stay. Uh, but what what have you seen out of that defense so far? Which, from the practices that I've seen, they've looked pretty good. I yeah, I would agree. Um, it, it will be interesting to see schematically how much different they are from uh, from Dave Aranda's. Um, you know, philosophy or, or whatnot. Uh, but I, I think they have a good base of talent to work with uh, coming up. I mean, you start just on the D-line real quick. I think you have, you know, probably uh, five guys at least in there who you think they can count on. The, I guess the question mark is Jeremy Patterson, um, who's backing up Olive uh, Sangapolu at nose guard. But, you know, Coach Brechterfield seems to think that Patterson has taken a good step forward and he's, and he's been getting – you know, you know, good consistent reps on that second team, and so if you have a good, you know, good six guys uh, that you could rotate on the D line, and then maybe get you like a seventh or an eighth or something in there, I think that will be a pretty solid group. Um, I, I really like what they have on the inside at linebacker because they have three guys that are battling for two spots in, in uh, Chris Orr, Jack Sitchi, and um, T.J. Edwards, uh, and so you know, I, I think they're all going to split playing time pretty well, and that could keep the defense, you know, those linebackers fresh. I think, you know, obviously you got uh, Vince Beagle, uh, outside backer, and uh, I think T.J. Watt is going to be a good fit on the other side, paired up with him. He's athletic. He's made a good couple plays, whether it's sacks or you know, interceptions or something like that. And then when you get to the, the defensive backfield, that's that's the big question mark. Um, but there there is some talent there. I mean, like Sojourn and Shelton, um, I, I think, were covered and had a good junior season at corner. Uh, I, I like what Derek Tindall brings to the table as the other corner and the coaching staff seems to agree. Um, and then you've got a couple guys that are battling to be at third corner, whether it's Natrell Jamerson or Titus Booker. Um, there's some, there's some guys that have some potential there. And then at safety, you know, Dakota Dixon has been out with a groin injury the last couple of practices, but I think he's a good fit for a solid safety or, or for a strong safety, even if he's a bit undersized, uh, but he, he's a big hitter and that, that's a good thing to have at that position. And then at, at free safety, you know, um, Aaronson Farrar has been getting a lot of reps, and I think he has a high ceiling. He had another pick uh, today during, I think it was red zone seven on seven. Uh, but he's made some plays this spring, and then you know Leo Musso is not somebody that you should count out of there either. I mean Musso has some play, some big playability to you know to him at least as, as far as what I've seen from practices go over the last couple of years. And so there's definitely some talent there, and it does depend on you know how they all fit into you know the the scheme and the play calling but I, I think there's good reason to be optimistic that there's not going to be a huge drop off just because of Randall left as a coordinator excellent uh, on that note John I know we've gone a little over what I what I promised <laughs> you sir apologies oh, on that uh, 
But with that, uh, thank you so much again. Uh, hopefully I'll catch you on Saturday. And, and like I said, uh, let me know what SPF you need because uh, I'll make sure that I provide it for us uh, <laughs> down in the uh, sunny confines of Camp Randall Stadium. I will be there. Maybe I'll bring the donuts this time. Sweet. Oh, yeah. Scotty, i got to tell you about that one later. Uh, thanks, <laughs> thanks again, John. Have a great night. We'll, we'll see you this weekend. All right. Yeah, you guys have a good night. You too. Guys, that's John Valdice, BadgerBlitz.com. Make sure you guys check out uh, him, obviously, on Twitter at John Veldheist, and then, of course, at BadgerBlitz.com. And, you know, with with that, Scotty, you know, we're, we're rolling in there. Yeah, the, and the reason what, what uh, John was talking about, I, I brought donuts to the media crew during spring ball practice on Saturday. It was kind of fun. I was, I was hungry more than anything. I'm on a diet. And I thought I passed by Greenbush, and I said, "Yep." And so I was also thinking about other the other media guys saying, "Hey, maybe I can get them some donuts." And uh, some uh, fun note too, by the way, uh, found out uh, that uh, with, with media people, if, if you're in a media capacity and you offer a football player a donut or a food thing, as long as it's part of the the media uh, partic- activities, is how uh, UW official referred to it as, uh, it wouldn't be an NCAA secondary viol- violation. Uh, so uh, the more you know there. <clears throat> yep, and the more I hate the NCAA. So, um, <laughs> I mean, just absolutely ridiculous. I I understand controls need to be in place. <sighs> so stupid. But anyway. Well, do, do you want to talk about that real quick? Let's talk about, I mean, the banning the satellite camps. I, I, I was on a, a podcast, uh, a brief podcast yesterday with Ben Morgel from BadgerNation.com talking about just the the fact of this um the simple fact that you know we we, we were going to talk about it actually no we didn't actually get a chance to talk about it but satellite camps overall where they ban you know you have the the two main players the acc and the scc uh and, and there are talks about them lobbying before this uh, t- talking about this banning the satellite the satellite camps that have been made use by James Franklin first for Penn State, and then uh, you saw that with Jim Harbaugh, and he's the one that kind of took it to that next level at Michigan. Uh, you know, but then you see like conferences like the Mountain West or the Pac Pac-12 approving this, and I mean the Big Ten was pretty much the only really big conference that that had put its foot down. Uh, initial, I mean not even initial thoughts. Well, your thoughts on this these new rules and and I mean. For me, Scotty, I, I feel that it really hurts the student-athletes that may get looked over by those schools down south uh, and, and, and could have opportunities at, at some of the Big Ten schools and other and other schools uh, up north. Um, <clears throat> again, I think the the basically whatever the SEC and some of those uh, teams there want the NCAA gives them to gives to them, and they're still not happy, and they still talk about pulling out and doing their own thing. I'm just far more concerned with some of the other ridiculous thing. I like, I get, like, I'm not in favor of paying athletes per se, but I am in favor of allowing them a chance to have a legitimate job and actually make a little bit of money to go do some things legally. Forget about the the, the rumors and all the other stuff about some of the illegal activities that happen at some schools. I just, I don't know. I, I'm just, I'm so fed up with the governing body of the NCAA that it it makes me nuts. And I'm not, like I said, I'm not over the top about it where, well, they should be able to do this and they should make all this money and 
the NCAA gets rich in them. I get that as part of the, the game. I know the NCAA makes a lot of money on these student athletes, but they do get a free education. I, I get all that. But, again, a violation because you gave them a donut or a violation because the coach helped the player go down to visit his mom on her deathbed. I, I, I don't know, man. Like, whatever. I, it is what it is, so... All right, I I I feel you on that. I I just personally think it's bad for. Uh, obviously, it's a power play for both sides. You see where they're coming from. The SEC and the ACC are trying to protect their turf, uh, and and obviously the Big Ten and other schools up north are trying to try to uh, get talent and try to be competitive. Uh, and and uh, you know we'll see what comes out of it, and hopefully there are some changes that are made. Uh, in the near future, I know that many people are throwing out so many different possibilities. But uh, what's also uh, ridiculous, looking at this 2016 Green Bay Packers schedule, is their week four bye after uh, playing Detroit at home, and then uh, they have to wait a week, uh, another week to play the New York Giants. Uh, your thought? Have you had a chance to look at some of that NFL schedule for the Green Bay Packers? And and uh, initial thoughts with uh, you know you play your first two away games, and then you, you kind of sink your teeth into four straight, you, you know, they're at home for four straight weeks, and uh, they have a pretty intriguing, I would say a pretty intriguing uh, December uh, in, into January. Yeah, I don't, I used to get all excited about the schedule release and try to predict before the draft even what their record was going to be and all that other stuff. You know, the week four by stinks, but somebody's got to have it, like, that's when buys start. So some some unlucky two or four teams are going to get stuck with that. And, you know, kind of is what it is. I wish week one and week three were reversed because I'm in uh, the Jacksonville area September 25th. So that would have been interesting. I would have obviously been able to get uh, some tickets for that game. But, um, yeah, I, I don't, it, it's not a perfect science. It, there is a lot that goes into it. Um <clears throat> I, I, I think, though, you look at the early bye, but then you have the Giants, Cowboys, and then you have a short week for the Bears. It w- would be their sixth game, but then they get 10 days off. So that's almost like uh, almost like another bye, perhaps. But it's just, it is what it is. You know what? The Packers have had seasons where the bye has come later in the year, and it still doesn't preclude them from injuries and that sort of thing. So I, I'm not too concerned about it. Um, you know, obviously the ideal week is week eight because you're right midway through the season. But you know, it, it, other than that, it, it looks good. It, if the Packers stack up in the draft and they improve some of the holes, they should still be the favorite. That week two game against the Vikings when they open up the new stadium will be a huge early season tilt. I think the Seattle game in December at home is a big one as well. But otherwise, pretty favorable. After that Vikings game, like you mentioned, four straight home games, then on the road, then home. Then they have the three in a row on the road. One of those is Titans, who, despite the huge blockbuster trade they made uh, today, they're still not going to be a very good team. I don't know. We'll see. Um, you know, I think uh, some of the bigger stories, though, is a couple of NFL quick stories. Obviously, um, the murder of Will Smith, that was big. Uh, the more more controversy with Johnny Manziel. 
Um, and the Packers trying out a German receiver, which seems to be getting huge news in different outlets across the, the country nationally, not just here. But um, really, the, we're going to have to start talking about the draft. I mean, the draft is coming up. And, and again, two weeks from now, in a big trade today, where uh, the Rams move up, they get the number one pick overall. They give up their number one and twos, and then there were some other moving parts within that. But obviously, trying to go big their first season in L.A., but I think I think they give up a lot. I mean, you're giving up two seconds and a, a mid-round, or big first-rounder, probably to draft a quarterback, uh, likely to get out of Cal, but I don't know. I, I just think it's a lot to give up. It is. It was a huge trade to start the morning. Obviously, the NFL tries to make this season schedule, like the, the release, a, a an event, um, they try to make it comparable to the Masters, but how much they prep it and, and go for it, obviously it's not, that doesn't, it's never the case, but they, that was a huge trade to start off. And now, you know, Ellie's trying to make a big splash. Uh, you know, you can commend them for trying to find a, a quarterback. You can try to find the, you know, them trying to have that ability to, to get a franchise quarterback to start new, start fresh in LA. But I, that what they gave up was immense. That's, <clears throat> You know, the Titans, things are like, you wonder if the Titans will be able to take care of that, take care of those picks and, and use them and, and draft wisely. And obviously they have a great team in Marcus Mariota and whatnot, but will they be able to capitalize? You know, the Rams don't pick after that 15th overall pick until the fourth round, the 110th overall uh, selection. Yeah, yeah. So that's huge. And then they like, have – they have the 110th, and then they have the 113th because they got that back in return. But you, but it's not just this year. Give up your first, two seconds, and a third, and then you give up next year's first and third. I, that To me, that's the part. Okay, if you want to mortgage this year to get the quarterback you want, fine. But now you're mortgaging next year as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, and, and with, with that, it's it's one of those things that, uh, to me, it makes me wonder the, the quarterbacks in this class. They're intriguing, but you wonder. And obviously, it's it's the league is the league of the quarterback, and you have to have a franchise quarterback or at least a halfway decent quarterback to to make noise and to uh, and to really solidify the franchise. And Wisconsin uh, fans, uh, just the, in Green Bay, or those that cheer for the Packers, are very lucky and fortunate to have Favre and Rodgers for the past. 25 years that they haven't had to actually worry about that. But you look at teams like St. Louis, or now Los Angeles. You look at guys like teams like Philadelphia that are sulking, uh, even though they've locked up Sam Bradford. But they've paid – how much do they pay Sam Bradford? Uh, and, and how many games has he played? It, it's definitely uh, a quarterback's league. And uh, we'll see how, obviously, how that turns out if they do – Turned their attention to uh, it's it, uh, was it Wentz and uh, and uh, Goff I think from, from California. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, Jared Goff and, and Wentz. Yeah. And on that note, kind I mean, of no guarantees. And I know that they look at it. I know that they look at it and they go, okay, you know, Winston and Mariota looked good last year. I don't know if these guys are that, but it's still a crapshoot. Yes, you need that young quarterback, but. And look how many young quarterbacks Jacksonville took before um, things finally started to look good last year with Bortles. Uh, you know, I mean, so it's still a risk. It's still a gamble. 
Um, you you got to make sure you have weapons around them. I mean, there's, there's more to it than just, well, we get the quarterback, and that's going to take care of it all because, you know, that's not how it works. So we'll see. Um, but I, I think some of it, too, is, you you know, you don't want to make splash. It, it's their first year there, so back in L.A., so I, I suppose. Um, somewhere down the road, too, I want to get a chance to talk about some of the stuff going on at UWM. The NBA playoffs would be great to get into, but I just wanted to spend a little bit of time early one-week impressions on the Milwaukee Brewers. And more importantly, you know, they've been fine enough. I mean, I still don't understand uh, Santana, Domingo Santana batting leadoff. But okay, you know, uh, they've been fine enough. But Willie Peralta has been terrible. And, and, and that's not an understatement. His ERA uh, above 10 through three starts. And that, to me, is disappointing because Jimmy Nelson's been good. Anderson's been decent. But that's the one guy. Um, that's the one guy they needed to, if they were going to even give the illusion of competing for something this year, they needed some another step, that next step out of Willie Peralta, and it doesn't look like they're getting it. It's, and, and today, obviously, the, the Brewers uh... – not necessarily uh, playing up the par, and uh, yeah, yeah, it's I mean it's been a tough season, and, and if they're going to have any chance to be a decent season, that that pitching with Peralta, the young nucleus of young men, and and Peralta, and you look at you mentioned Jimmy Nelson, uh, and, and today with obviously uh, a bad outing by Peralta uh, in the seven nothing loss, and, and Jaime Garcia on the upset line. The complete opposite spectrum. There was a no hitter for I think it was if I'm not mistaken five and two thirds innings, and until Santana had that two out single in the sixth. Uh, but you look at the fact that Peralta, I mean five runs in five innings, and yeah, you meant ERA above ten. He needs to really kind of start pulling it together in this team. Really, yeah, you know, five and ten last year with an ERA up near five. He's already zero three, and it really it's uh, they need to get. The, I mean, this is part of the nucleus they started building around, and I, I just don't know uh, how he'll pan out, or you know, what, what was the aberration from years past? You know, uh, let me ask you that, uh, Scotty. I mean, you look at you know uh, two thousand fourteen, seventeen and eleven with the three fifty three ERA. And, and had 154 strikeouts and a whip of, I mean, his whip was high that year. It was kind of high compared to, like, 2013. But, um, really, it just, I, I'd say, you know, what was the aberration? Because, you know, cause, you know the, the first of four years that he's been started, consistently starting for Milwaukee, 14 was the best. But the other three, uh, you know, ERAs, uh, the lowest, or it was 4.37 in 2013 outside of that one year in 2014. Well, that, then that's the aberration. I mean, I think, I think, you know, a young 24-year-old who goes 11 and 15, and it makes that jump, but if you look at, at, at some of the things, uh, the whip went down a little bit from 13 to 14. But you're right, 1.304 is a high whip for a guy who watched 17 games. So, he, you know, he had a little bit of, of fielding luck behind him there. Um, but I think the problem is is when you look at the, the fact, like, okay, so last year, you know, he, he was injured, whatever, but not a lot of strikeouts. 
60 strikeouts in 108 innings. The year before, 154 and 198. So the strikeouts are down. Makes you wonder about the overall velocity. Makes you wonder about uh, maybe not being able to develop another pitch. Whatever it comes down to, it's certainly looking more and more like Murray Peralta of 2015 and 2013 is the best you can hope for. And that 2014 might have been nerfed. That might have been the aberration. But whatever it is, it's disappointing. And when you think about what, you know, the Brewers are going to try to make some trades. Now, stars are being hurt. That's their ability to move him at midseason. But, you know, one of the guys that, that, you know, they talk about moving and then end up trying to move a guy like uh, Jonathan Lucroy, they're going to probably have to move him pitching because they, they seem to have a lot of outfielders and middle infielders down in the farm. But they don't have that first and they don't have the corner infielders of the future unless you know, Ryan Braun is the first base in their future, which we can talk about in another show. Um, and they don't have deep pitch. And they have a couple of guys, but it sounds like if they're going to try to get anything for uh, a guy like Lucroy or a guy like Aaron Hill, if he ever starts hitting, um, it's going to have to be you try to stockpile on as much pitching as you can. Again, so far, I think they've done a good job because this Stearns and and the team of doing uh, some things to build that farm system up, and it's, it's been wonderful that they've been able to do it. However, uh, we're getting to the point now where you start to see some of the, the, the weaknesses, and the weaknesses are at pitching. Um, so we'll see. We'll see. Luke Roy's hitting 310 early on. Um, if he can continue to hit, his defense is good. You can obviously increase his value. They need him. And other guys that they have a chance to move to stay healthy, and that's really what it comes down to. Otherwise, you know, I've enjoyed watching a few things. Santana Carter's been better than advertised. If Chris Carter hits in the 250s, with the way he can draw walks, they'll take it. Their walks are up 40% from this, from this same time last year to this year. So that's an improvement, even though it's been batting average or something like that. So, I, again, it, it's better than we thought it would be. When they've lost, they've, they've looked horrible. When they've won, they've been fun to watch. Um, you know, again, you're, you're still looking at a team that's going to be, you're lucky to get in the mid-70s, but you're looking for improvement. And that's why I think the problem story is a big deal to me, because you haven't seen improvement. And uh, it, it makes you think that they're going to have to do some things to stockpile to get in the front. And that, Obviously, by the way, Jake, that's the position where you have to build through the farm system. I mean, you see what the going rate is now for starting pitchers. You know, it's going up. And this team eventually, hopefully, will be in a position to spend some money. But even when they are spending money, when they're at $100 million payroll, they weren't able to contend with contracts like Zach Greinke was getting at the time and CC Sebastian. So you're going to have to have, if you're going to contend in a very tough division, that's probably going to be tough for quite a number of years with the Cubs and the Pirates and you know, a little bit yet with the Cardinals and their farm system, you're going to have to have some homegrown pitching. And if you're not able to, to get that, you know, it doesn't matter how good you, you, you think you can be offensively, you're going to need some pitching to uh, to contend. And, and right now, like I said, the farm system has some players, some pitching, but it's certainly not uh, bursting at the seams like, like some of the other farm systems. With that, we'll definitely next week dive in a little bit deeper. Hopefully we'll have uh, our Brewers correspondent or one of them 
coming up uh, down the road and, and kind of break down a little bit more of the season and obviously uh, trade prospects for Jonathan Lucroy even and, and also look into the baseball season. Still still a lot. Uh, obviously, this team, not a lot of uh, optimism in terms of records, but like you said, it'll be, um, it'll be interesting to see how they develop throughout uh, anything else you want to talk about? Obviously, Scotty, we're we're, we're get, uh, getting close up to um, our time for today. But you know, you mentioned uh, I, let's take a look. Uh, Barry Alvarez uh, said at the Wisconsin Sports Awards uh, that he thinks that the College Game Day is coming to Wisconsin LSU, uh, which is up in Lambeau Field, yeah. first first thing of the season on September third. Uh, unfortunately, Monte Ball arrested this past weekend again, uh, which is. Uh, uh, a very his his offseason spiraled out of control uh, for uh, he's dressed yeah, in Moss white the rest of his house, so yeah Brenton Moss was too uh, uh, NBA uh, NBA playoffs eight hey, the Golden State Warriors break the Bulls record and and more silliness when people try to compare a team from twenty years ago oh yeah that Bulls team would have swept them or that Bulls team would have beaten Golden State in five here's the thing that Bulls team was really good. The, but at 20 years ago, as good as that team was, the athletes nowadays are still better. They get better every year. They get more athletic every year. If the Bulls would have, would have played Golden State, if they could take them both in a prime, maybe the Bulls would win, maybe not, but it wouldn't be a sweep. It would be a seven-game series or, or something of that nature. But anyway, congratulations to them. And Steph Curry, over 400 three-pointers hit. It's an amazing stat. It is. It's insane. Um, we'll get a chance to break down the playoffs some more as we get into it. I, I, looking, Golden State and San Antonio, obviously the favorites, and I think Oklahoma and, and the Clippers should advance in their first-round series. Um, the East is a little bit more wide open, but I still I can't get by, I can't believe Toronto yet, so I, I still think Cleveland's a team to beat there, um, but we could delve more into that. And, you know, Tough being a Brewer fan this year, but Minnesota, the Twins, are 0-9. But that's not the stat that's amazing. The stat that's amazing is they've only given up 36 runs, which is only four games. Should be able to win a couple games there. They've only scored 14 runs on the season. So, so far, early on. Now I say that, and I'll probably rip off like 10 out of 12. But an 0-9 start, and uh, they find themselves seven games back in the AL Central. On that note, thank you guys for listening in. And like I said, next week uh, we're going to try to make it a little bit more consistent. Apologies for the delay in uh, and the uh, the length of time between our last two podcasts. And uh, like I said, we'll talk some baseball. We'll talk some playoffs. Uh, we'll break down some more NFL draft stuff. It's coming up in two weeks, folks. This is it, it's uh, it's come up less than two weeks. Hopefully, we can get some. Uh, I'll uh, make some calls to you who we can get to talk about some NFL draft. Uh, goodies. Uh, it's our it's one of some of our favorite time of the year. On that note, folks, thanks for tuning in. Always check us out at Bucky's Fifth Quarter at B5Q's Twitter handle. Check out Scotty at Scott Wisniewski two. Me at Jake Coco B5Q. And uh, like I said, have a, have a great week. Enjoy that weather. We'll talk to you guys next week for sure on the Kilbasa King Sports Extravaganza. Accordion solo, American Polka, played by Mr. John J. Kimball, Edison Records.
Yeah, you know, the the book's been uh, crazy busy on on our end, and it just uh, say there. Hello, hello. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry. Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.